Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. You're going to need to grab a Bible. If you don't have one, please throw a hand up because volunteers are passing them out right now. If you don't own a Bible, the one that we're passing out right now is our gift to you. Please take it home. It's our privilege to give Bibles to anybody who needs one. If we hand you that hardback, turn to page 896. If you already have a Bible and know your way around it, go to John 14, verse 15. Yes, that's the exact same verse we started at last week. Doesn't sound like we're making a lot of progress, but I'll explain. John chapter 14, verse 15. Again, page 896, if you have the hardback. But first, I want to tell you about my fish. You won't be laughing and chuckling when you find out what happens to the fish. So, I was 20 years old when somebody thought it wise to make me a youth pastor. This is never advisable. But whatever, it happened. And I was excited that we had just totally renovated a house that that church owned and turned it into this beautiful, shiny new office. And I got my own office. It was amazing. And I quickly decided, you know what would make this the coolest office in the whole world is what if I had my own, like, nice fish tank, not the little... So, fun tidbit. I had a little one-gallon acrylic one in college that had three little neon tetras in it. And because I'm a history person, they were named Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin. There were three. (laughs) That shows you my pessimism that they were three identical fish from my perspective. And when one died, I had to go, which one was it? Because they all looked the same. I decided it was Joseph. So anyway, (laughs) Joseph died first. Anyway, even though that didn't happen in real life, Joseph died first. So I'm a youth pastor. I'm like, I'm going to get a real fish tank. So I get this beautiful 16-gallon convex front Beautiful, it's going to be so pretty, it's going to be awesome. And I'd always wanted a blue gourami, or gourami. There's a brutal fight in the fish community, or how to pronounce it, whatever. But I'd never had a tank big enough, and now I had a 16-gallon tank, and I wanted one of these. And so I go to the store, it was only six or seven bucks. Go to Petco, get a blue gourami. And it was so pretty. I mean, you can see. They can be all the way from like a silvery gold iridescent all the way to just a straight blue or anywhere in between. Absolutely beautiful fish. Until one day. Yeah. Until one day, my blue gourmet wanted freedom. He had apparently watched the movie Free Willy. He heard Michael Jackson sing the song. He was feeling inspired, and he decided to jump out of the water just like Free Willy. But he didn't pay attention to the part where Free Willy landed safely in water on the other side. And instead, my blue gourmet was getting acquainted with a part of my office it didn't probably want to be acquainted with, um, the freshly laid commercial carpet. 
You don't have to go very far in your science classes to know that fish breathe oxygen, but water is how they get their oxygen, right? H2O. It doesn't feel like it to you and me, the way our lungs work. We, think, we see a swimming pool and we're like, ah, keep the kids, you know, floaties. Sunscreen, floaties, keep the kids safe. We don't think of oxygen down there. But a fish's lungs, that's how I get my oxygen. And um, my blue gourmet, I don't know how long he spent inspecting my carpet before he went to fishy heaven. But that's not, a, uh, that's not a fun afternoon. To need oxygen and to not have it, that's not a fun afternoon. We're going to talk about Blue Gourmet more in just a moment. Our current sermon series is called A Few Last Words. We're hearing the last couple of chapters of what Jesus is saying to the eleven First part of the conversation is in the upper room. Judas has just been sent away. What you're going to do, go quickly. You're going to say a few last things of, of deep importance. The conversation is going to continue on the way to Gethsemane, and some of it's going to be said in Gethsemane. Today, part three, the promised Holy Spirit. The reason that we're doing the exact same text over again, you're going to see it as we read. Last week, out of this same text, we pointed out four different places where Jesus was emphasizing that to love God and to obey God are the same thing. They cannot be separated. Intermittent with that, he's also telling the 11, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And a lot of details about that. So when it's intermittent like that, and you're a little bit A-type like me, I can't ping pong back and forth. So last week we were doing love and obedience, being connected to each other. This week, we're hearing about the Holy Spirit, and I know as much as we do, and we do, we want to hear in 2021, like, how am I supposed to be, on this side of Pentecost, what, how am I living a life filled with the Holy Spirit exactly the way Jesus would have us to do? We also need to use, uh, stretch ourselves just a little bit mentally and emotionally to go to where the 11 are. And here's what I mean. The 11 have not seen Pentecost yet. They haven't seen it. The 11 grew up good-ish Jewish boys. They've heard the most sad and terrifying verse in the Bible in Judges where it says that the Holy Spirit had left Samson, but Samson didn't realize it. These 11 have heard verses like David saying, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And that's because... There was a covenant that was shown to them, Genesis through Malachi. And there were different groups of people inside rabbinical tradition studying and analyzing and coming to different convictions about what was this all going to look like. They had Ezekiel telling them that God at some point was going to write the law on their hearts, he said of his people. They can't obey the law when it's written on stone tablets. This isn't working. I'll write it on their hearts. And all of the Bible teachers get to wrestle for hundreds of years over what that's going to look like. This is where the 11 are at. But they're watching it live. Messiah has come, and he's saying he's going to leave. We're confused that he says he's going to leave, right? And he's saying, hey, 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 I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Fun tidbit, orphan was a, was a term for disciples whose rabbi had died. 
So we still expect you to carry on the teachings of your rabbis, just that your rabbi is no longer with us. And he says, that's not even going to happen. He is equating the Holy Spirit with himself. Like, I, am, I and the Father are one. We're both God. Oh yeah, and the Holy Spirit, God. My spirit is going to be inside you. You will not be alone. Your rabbi will not be missing, even though you see me ascend into heaven. The Holy Spirit inside you is going to, not only every bit of my presence with you, you're going to do even greater things. And 20 centuries later, I think we're still struggling to believe this. So let's read the text together. Again, page 896. Jesus speaking. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Was that big or was that big? No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate, do, do you hear how much interplay between the triune God Jesus, you're confusing me. You said that you're sending the Holy Spirit. Now you're saying the Father is sending the Holy Spirit. Twice he has said, I am coming to you. Once he has said, the Father is coming to you. The triune God who created the cosmos out of nothing has always been in covenant with his people one way or the other. He is still working. The Father sent the Son. The Son came. The Son sends the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' view of the differences and these strong borders that you and I's small, finite brain want to have between the Father, Son, and Spirit, just listen to the way Jesus talks. If it blows your mind, good. Please, 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 never ever worship a God that you can easily wrap your mind around. It sounds like your God is smaller than you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Lord Jesus, teach us the word of God by your Holy Spirit today. Help us to receive what we're supposed to receive. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask for this grace. And God's people said, Amen.
your first blank. I don't know what happened there. The Spirit-filled life is the Christian life. The Spirit-filled life is the Christian life. They're one and the same. Uh, Some of our siblings in the faith disagree with this, and too bad. Um, I've said to you guys over the last few years a few times that I grew up in a tradition that kind of worshipped Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. Uh, We were afraid of the Holy Spirit because the only people talking about the Holy Spirit were doing a bunch of stuff we thought was pretty crazy. And isn't it tempting when somebody freaks you out and scares you and you're like, that's not biblical. Isn't it tempting to not just walk away but to not investigate, not to think about it, analyze and go, well, are there still Bible verses that I'm not obeying? Right? I love that scene. I'm dating myself because this is 20 years ago now. In the, in the film, The Italian Job, two guys are sitting, I think, in a car ready to be part of some amazing heist. And they see that the bad guy's house, they've got to break into it, has big guard dogs. And one guy says, I don't like dogs. And the other says, oh, why? The first man says, I had a bad experience. The other guy says, well, what happened? The first one said, I had a bad experience. (laughs) This is not a casual intellectual conversation for me to explain to you why I don't want to be around those dogs. That should have been the end of it. I had a bad experience. Don't want to talk about it. We're not having this discussion. And I think that throughout the 20th century in particular, a lot of evangelicalism had a bad experience with the Holy Spirit. Or did we? I think we had a bad experience with certain siblings who took some things too far. And to be really clear, to be really explicit, when we take specific spiritual gifts and we hold them up and say, if you don't have this spiritual gift, you're not as Christian as I am. Or the really extreme ones that would say, if you don't have this specific spiritual gift, you're not even a Christian. That's called blasphemy. You need to read the book of Galatians. We don't do works-based salvation. If you want works-based, every other religion on earth has you covered. Christianity is not for working your way toward God loving you. You work because God has loved you in the cross. So if you're anything like me and the tradition I come from, we might have to repent a little bit. Where the Holy Spirit has become an it instead of a he. Where we ask ourselves, how do I obey Christ? We never ask, how am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Those are not contradictory, by the way. They're the same. And today we get to investigate this just a little bit. What is the spirit-filled life? What is it? It's one and the same as loving Christ, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about this. Eleven men who had the second person of the Trinity face-to-face for three, three and a half years. He says your education is not complete. And you cannot do this on your own. So 
where on earth, how, how are you and I going to possibly make it? None of us have walked physically with Jesus, or, or have we? Or have we? Because Jesus sometimes calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he says, my spirit. Paul sometimes calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he calls him the Spirit of Christ. Again, the hard lines that you and I want to draw between the different persons of the triune God, the triune God doesn't always draw those hard lines. One God, three persons. And you and I might be tempted to think, well, I haven't walked with Jesus for three years. and Their, their education is not complete. We're going to see back in verse 27, the Holy Spirit is still teaching you, reminding you of all that I said. But those of us who love Jesus have the Spirit of Christ in us. Leading us into all truth, John 1, as well as what Jesus just said in John 14. This is such a precious promise because if you're arrogant, Jesus just said, you are not going to be able to live the Christian life apart from me sending you the Holy Spirit. So you come down a few notches. I mean, if you thought you were spiritually awesome. And if you're down in the gutter going, I'm terrible, I'm a a terrible Christian, I'm so bad at this, I'm awful at this, Jesus just said, I'm going to send you the Spirit of the living God and he's going to be inside you teaching you all things and showing you how to love and serve the Almighty. What? You're going to be all right. You're going to make it. (laughs) One pastor I enjoy listening to said, no one in the kingdom of God should ever walk with a swagger. Neither should they walk with a limp. There's no no second-rate Christianity. There is fully availing myself of all that the Holy Spirit wants to lead me into, all of the teachings of Christ and joy-filled obedience, and there's fighting him. That for sure, right? But that could be the same person in one day. Anybody here had a big win and a big loss on the same day? And I don't mean like you got fired. I mean like obeying Christ and disobeying Christ 12 hours apart from each other. Anybody ever had that one? David conquered everyone around him and decides to relax and take a nap on a roof and look at a girl who's not hit. Like he had high highs and low lows smashed close together. We're capable of this. Guys, the Holy Spirit filled life for the Christian the Spirit being in the Christian, working on us, helping us to love Christ more and more, love the world more and more, love the church more and more. The Holy Spirit is how the Christian gets oxygen. You don't get oxygen somewhere else. It doesn't matter that the rest of the office looks like freedom to you. It doesn't matter that you got inspired by a cool movie. I want to do independence. I'm going to do it my way. Practically, what do we do with this truth? I'm glad you asked. It's a humble prayer. And it sounds a lot like what Jesus is going to say in the next chapter. Christian, what would your life look like if you started your day before your feet hit the floor? Holy Spirit, apart from you, I can do nothing. And this doesn't mean I can't choose what colored socks. It doesn't mean I can't go to the restroom and take a shower. The context of John 15 that we'll be preaching on here not too long 
is can you do jack bananas for the kingdom of God? Can you do anything that glorifies your father? Can you do anything that blesses your siblings in the faith? Can you do anything that ultimately blesses the world? Like kingdom blessing. And Jesus says the answer is no. He talks about a connection here in this part of 14. He talks about a connection in 15 that sounds like a connection just between Christ and his church. Right now he's talking about connection between his Holy Spirit and his church. All connected. Guys, I know we're tempted sometimes because we can't feel the tangibleness of prayer to think that this isn't a tangible next step. I'm begging you to reconsider if that's what you're thinking right now. What would tomorrow morning look like if you genuinely said this to God before you started your day? God, nothing of eternal value is gonna happen today if you are not in me and working through me. Nothing. Do you think that God will honor a prayer of humility like that? Scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And it doesn't mean you pray a prayer and you get another 5,000 followers on Instagram. The exalting, the exalting may not be here on earth. And if you're a Christian, don't worry about that. Where do you want praise? Where do I want praise? Where do I want to be lifted up? I want praise when I see my Savior's face. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. We can live with some humility right now. Humility might just save us. When do I want some praise? Just off the lips of my Savior. That's the only place I want it. I know all the self-help books tell you to write your funeral plan, what everyone's gonna say at your funeral. It's like, ah. Those are mere mortals. Those are mere mortals. What is Jesus gonna say when I see him face to face? That's what I'm more interested in. Note takers, your second blank. The spirit-filled life continues the teaching ministry of Jesus. It continues the teaching ministry of Jesus. Read verse 26 with me again. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. This is an echo of what John already said in chapter one. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. For some of us, the most important word in that sentence is the word continues. Let me say it another way. The Holy Spirit doesn't say different things than what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't say things different than what the Holy Spirit says. The Logos, all knowledge in the universe, put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son. And, and do you think he has a different opinion than the Holy Spirit? No. Do you think the Holy Spirit has a... Like, are these, are these kid brothers that are fighting, elbowing each other, and dad's in the front? Knock it off, kid. No. Father, Son, and Spirit are fully God. 
They do not disagree. If you want to see the closest that they ever got to disagreement, you already heard it when Jesus said, Father, if this cup could pass from me, I'll take it. But not my will be done, your will be done. Guys, the Holy Spirit doesn't teach us something that Jesus does not teach us. Some of you are staring at me blankly because you've been blessed to be under good Bible teaching for a long time and it's never come up, but our world is filled with people who think that they can say the Holy Spirit said one thing even though the Bible said another. This is a picture of the United Methodist Convention two years ago where they are fighting inside themselves over whether the Bible is true. This was absolutely heartbreaking and tragic. It's very rare that the evening news makes me cry. A reporter asked a man just outside in the hallway, who was one of the United Methodist pastors, hey, you know, so, you know, Bible says some of this and some of that, you know, What's your take on the definition of marriage in light of what the Bible says? And I thought that he was going to do some scripture twisting and try to manipulate, well, Jesus never actually said blah, blah, blah. I thought he was going to do some of that nonsense. It was way worse than that. And it was way more honest. He said, and I quote, we have never said that the Bible is the ultimate authority over the United Methodist Church. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate authority over the United Methodist Church. Oh. Which which Holy Spirit are you talking about? Because the one here in John 14, he continues the teaching ministry of Jesus. And guys, get it. I, I'm not living under a rock. I understand the abject terror, even of knowing that this sermon goes online. I understand the abject terror of offending somebody because they've taken on their sexuality as an identity, which is itself psychologically nuts. Human beings have never said, I'm straight. This is who I am and what I am. We have never done that until the fruit of the sexual revolution out of the 60s. We have lost our way. And I don't want to offend anybody. I do not want to hurt anybody. I don't want you to burn in hell because you're so offended over me having a different sexuality than you that you won't listen to me talk about a bloodied cross and an empty tomb. I know what the main event is. I'm not picketing your parade. I'm not angry at you. I don't hate you. I'm not afraid of you. We have a disagreement. We're grown adults that have a disagreement. I know. I feel it now. I don't want someone to feel hated by God because God had the audacity to disagree with you. God died on a cross for you. Do you think he was hanging on his cross going, man, I really need to die for those gay people? Do you know how many straight sins are listed in the book of Leviticus? How many straight sins are listed explicitly? There are a lot of straight people doing a lot of dirty stuff, apparently. Or 3,400 years ago they were. I know we don't do that now. (laughs) 
Guys, it doesn't actually matter. Today, the issue of the day is whether we get to define gender, whether we get to define marriage. Every generation has its own fights. We're fighting over whether a fetus is a human being. In 1904, when we were putting a black man behind bars at the Bronx Zoo and putting him on display as a pseudo-animal, like every single generation has to fight with whether or not we're going to trust God to define reality. He's been defining reality since he spoke us into existence. The problem is that Genesis 3, we started going, you know, this snake has some ideas about reality too. And I want to be open-minded, so maybe we should sit down at the table with a snake and have a conversation. Let's break bread. Let's have a macchiato. That's fine if the snake has your best interests at heart. And the snake is still seated at the table. He's still inviting you to the table. I am not here to pick on people who are gay or lesbian or trans. Every generation, it's going to be something different. The common denominator is, will we trust the creator God who loved us enough to die in our place? That is the only issue. Because I have tons of straight sexual sin personally. It was just as heinous as somebody else's particular perversion. What makes perversion of all types, what makes it heinous is that we're telling God he doesn't love us. That's what makes it so awful. The God who's only ever been good, he's only ever been faithful, he's only ever sacrificed for us, and we just scream in his face that he does not love us, he is not looking out for us, he does not provide for us. We sound a lot like our siblings in the desert with manna on the ground every morning, quail every night saying, we had it better in Egypt. We sound a lot like them. But the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit doesn't teach us differently than what Jesus has said. He teaches the same thing. What's our next step? Give the scriptures weight in your heart, your daily routine. Let's follow in our brothers, brother David's footsteps who can write an entire psalm about the beauty of God's commands, his precepts. Like, we're in a culture that hates rules. How backwards is this? We do not like somebody telling me what to do. I, um, The best sermons are powered by caffeine. Um, no, it's cold anyway. Uh, we can do it. We can do this. Protect yourself and the people you love. Visit vaccines.gov to learn more. Um, and Melissa rightly pointed out this morning, I don't normally go to McDonald's to find out health information. It's kind of backwards. Uh, and I've kind of, honestly, this had kind of faded into the background. It didn't even annoy me anymore. But... Um, the first time I saw it, it annoyed me. Guys, I don't like being told what to do. Confession time. Confession time. Um, and it's a kind of a part of the American ethos. I don't think I'm alone. I, I don't like being told what to do. Do you? What, what if the one who died for me wrote a book for me to read, though. 
What if it was uh, so refreshingly honest that he is the point and I am not the point? What if I was blown away that it was written over 1,600 years by over 50 different authors and it had one message? What if I could see so clear that he loves me even if I never respond to his mercy? What if I could see that the God of the Bible will always love me even if I keep myself in a state of rebellion? If I never, ever accept the grace of God, he still loves me. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. I need to turn over a new leaf inside my own heart about this whole, I don't like being told what to do. I need to turn over a new leaf because you see, it's still about trust. It's still about trust. Brothers and sisters, please, would you make us a people of the word? I can't do it on my own. If we're a people of the word, it's gonna be the sum total of each of our individual hunger and thirst for the word. And when you're not hungry for the word, there's an antidote. Are you ready? Lord, would you make me hungry for the word? You think God's not gonna answer that prayer? God, I'm in a place of stubbornness right now. I'm in a place of self-reliance right now. Would you make me hungry to hear what you've gotta say? Brothers and, scripture, brothers and sisters, read the Bible. Please study it every day because you are listening to the voice of your creator. He is telling you reality and no one else is telling you reality besides him. Even when you listen to your siblings in Christ carefully bringing a teaching or a rebuke or a correction or encouragement, they have to bring it from the word or it's not valid. It's ultimately God speaking to you even when he speaks through siblings. You're gonna be spirit-filled? You have to be a child of the word to live the spirit-filled life. You have to, I have to. Third, the spirit-filled life is marked by peace. The spirit-filled life is marked by peace. Verse 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The commands to not be troubled, the commands to not be afraid, it flows straight out of this promise of peace. What's the peace? Well, he just said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. If you're familiar with Romans, your mind might go to Romans 5.1. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross, when it reconciles God and man, it gives us peace with God. We're no longer at war with him. But this is not talking about that. This is not, hey, you're not at war with me. The 11 were, never, were not at war, not in his last three years. He said the Holy Spirit's been with you. This unique thing, you can't really easily fit it into either of the covenants, right? Jesus is here, but the Holy Spirit hasn't come, so you have to deal with the 11 very carefully, doctrinally speaking. You have to thread the needle. 
It's not that they were necessarily at war with Christ during these three years. They were following him and the Holy Spirit was with them, but the Holy Spirit was not in them. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you're going to have peace. Presumption, because he's talking in the future tense, is this is a peace that you're not even necessarily experiencing yet, even being with Jesus in the flesh. And I would love it if you would go for your soul, read the book of Acts this week. Don't stop to study. Just put this in your notes. If you're not specifically studying something right now in your devotional time, read the book of Acts. Read it straight through quickly, maybe as an audio book, audio, you know, Bible, the Bible version app. Just listen to the story and ask yourself, when people start killing Christians, does their peace disappear? Just, just ask that one question during the book of Acts. Because you and I would be very tempted to think, oh, this calm assurance that God's in control. You know what I mean? If there was a government overthrow and people burst in there, found the elders, killed the seven of us at gunpoint, and left, and you guys have to decide, can we gather here? Is this safe? Do we have to hide in people's homes? What do we have to do? That scenario tempts us to go, we would not be experiencing the peace of God when bullets were flying. but they threw stones at Stephen. Did Stephen get more connection with God or less connection with God because of the stones that flew? He could see his Savior. Brothers and sisters, the spirit-filled life is marked by a peace that is beyond human understanding. What can this world do to me? Kill my body? Please. I love and revere and cherish and worship the one who can throw both body and soul into hell. <laughs> right? That's what Jesus told us to fear. And I not only fear him, I love him. I worship him as God. I worship him as Savior and as Redeemer. So the Holy Spirit-filled life is marked by peace. Whose cow is this? When Citrus Heights looks at you, when Roseville looks at you, when Rancho Cordova looks at you, can they quickly and easily see a woman or a man who was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ because you have peace? It's not that there isn't chaos in the world, it's just that my God is bigger and so my behavior is a little different. My words are a little different. The things I will complain about or fret about are radically minimized, if not reduced, because I have a God who's on his throne, no matter what the evening news says. Brothers and sisters, can these cities around us, can Carmichael quickly identify you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Here's the next step. Would you say this to Jesus, and would you say it honestly if you love him? Lord, here are 10 things in my life right now that are way too big for me. Do you know how cathartic it would be? Try to do it before you go to bed tonight. Get her done or else you're gonna forget. I'm gonna do it too. 
I want the spirit-filled life, brothers and sisters. I really do. I want to fully obey. And maybe if this could help just the tiniest bit. Because the spirit-filled life is marked by peace. And I want peace. I don't want the fear and chaos of following the latest thing that somebody said about what somebody said. War with China. (laughs) It's interesting as a history student, um, it has literally been my assignment before through microfilm to look up and be reading newspapers from the 1940s, 1950s in different countries. And it's fascinating reading an entire newspaper from a day in history in, say, 1953 the development of the H-bomb by the Soviets. Like, every generation has plenty to worry about. Can somebody with gray hair give me an amen? Every generation, like, manufactures things to worry about. But our God is bigger. There is an end that is coming. I don't know if it'll involve an H-bomb. But I know that when they see him, they will be terrified because they will be seeing the one they had rebelled against. And those of us who love him, we're not going to see a judge, we're going to see a savior. It's going to be a good day if you have decided to love him, to fear him, to worship him, to be filled by his Holy Spirit. God, we want to be joyfully, zealously obedient to you. Lord Jesus, we want your heart to smile when you think about ARCF. Even more than you did yesterday. We want to grow and grow and grow in our glad obedience. In serving our city. In loving and caring for each other. In proper honor and respect toward you and your word. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit's filling because you've said it's the Holy Spirit who's going to teach us everything, who's going to lead us into all truth. God, give us the humility to depend on your spirit inside us. Knowing that that is not in any way separate from being people of the book. God, we thank you in advance because we believe that you say yes to prayer requests like this. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's watch. I will not blow up pumpkins. I will not... Well, good morning, ARCF family. Can you believe that it's August already? Man, where does the time fly? The holidays are fast approaching, and the first one coming up is at the end of October in the form of our Halloween alternative, Pumpkin Blast. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I will not blow up pumpkins. Anyways, I said a couple of weeks ago that our very first Pumpkin Blast meeting is going to be on August 8th, which happens to be today. 
The meeting will be happening in the office right after the service today. So if you are interested in helping out at Pumpkin Blast, make sure you stick around. Last week we voted on a new church name. And guess what? It ended in a tie. That means we get a church name bonus round. Yay! And the vote is going to work the same way that it did this last time. So in two weeks, we're going to have our in-person vote, which will be August 22nd, right after the service. Now, if we have your email address, your online ballots will come to your inbox on Tuesday, August 17th. If you need an absentee ballot, you can come in the 17th, 18th, or 19th here in the church office, and we can help you out with that. Now, all methods of voting will stop on Sunday, August 22nd at 10.45 a.m. Now, some of you might still be asking, why are we changing our name at all? Well, there's a couple of different reasons for that. First of all, this is a conversation that has actually been going on for about a decade now. It never really felt the right time, but now we feel like the Lord is really pulling us in that direction. And trust me when I say that your staff and elders have been praying about this and then discussing it and then praying about it some more. So we make sure that it's the Lord's decision. Now here's a few logistical reasons as to why we would be changing our name. Now most of you know that we're in the process of selling our vacant land and also the land that houses our old office. Now what you might not know is that both of those pieces of land are our only addresses on Antelope Road. That means when we complete the sale of the land, our address might not actually be on Antelope Road anymore. Another logistical reason is that our name is incredibly long. Before the age of the internet, we had to make sure we communicated a lot in our name. So when our name changed to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship, we were saying who we were and where we were. Now with the help of the internet, we can put all of that information on our website, which means we can have a shorter name that's easier to remember when you're passing by our sign. And then when they come to our website, which most people will do, they can see our affiliation, what we believe, and where we are. But keep in mind that the simpler the name, the easier it is for someone who hears it or sees it to remember it. Now one last reason is that there is a nearby town called Antelope. And I will tell you that it has happened on more than one occasion that people get us confused with Antelope Christian Center, which is in Antelope. Especially if you take out the word road from our name, which a lot of vendors do to fit our name into an invoice. So those are the logistical reasons as to why a name change is somewhere that we feel like the Lord is leading us. So what does that actually mean for us? Is our identity changing? Not at all. Our identity is not tied to a name. We are still going to be the same Jesus-centered, loving, caring family that we've always been. All we're doing is changing the greeting to our community by changing our name on the sign. If you have any questions that I haven't addressed, feel free to connect with an elder. They're here for you and they want to make sure that you have all the information that you need to make sure you feel a part of this exciting new chapter. Over the last few years, we've had a lot of dear saints go home to Jesus, and many of them have left behind spouses, and it's very important that we take care of them. As a matter of fact, James 1.27 states, religion that God our Father finds pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress. So it's been on the hearts of our elders to develop a group of people with various skills to help out our seniors who have lost their spouses. We're looking for people who will do simple chores, simple repairs, run various errands, or even go visit in the hospital. 
you can commit to as much time as you are able to. Any time that you're able to commit to this ministry is invaluable and a blessing to those who need it. On Sunday, August 29th, right after the service, there's going to be a meeting to discuss this ministry and your role in it. And so if you're interested in joining this ministry, we'd love for you to come to that meeting. Don't worry, lunch will be provided. So mark it on your calendars, Sunday, August 29th. All right, church family, that's all that I have for you this morning. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back, for more events and more information. I will not blow up pumpkins. How many more times do I have to write this? Love you guys. Have a great week, unless I'm, unless I'm seeing you in the Pumpkin Blast meeting. Have a great week.